Chapter Seven of Men of Iron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Umpleby. Men of Iron by Howard Pyle. Chapter Seven. So little does it take to make a body's reputation. That night all the squire's quarters buzzed with the story of how the new boy, Falworth, had answered Sir James Lee to his face without fear, and had exchanged blows with him hand to hand. Walter Blunt himself was moved to some show of interest. "'What said he to thee, Falworth?' asked he. "'He said not,' said Miles brusquely. "'He only sought to show me how to recover from the undercut.' It is passing strange that he should take so much notice of thee as to exchange blows with thee with his own hand. Haply thou art either very quick or parlous slow at arms. It is quick that he is, said Gascoigne, speaking up in his friend's behalf. For the second time that Falworth delivered the stroke, Sir James could not reach him to return. So I saw with mine own eyes. But that very sterling independence that had brought Miles so creditably through this adventure was certain to embroil him with the rude, half-savage lads around him, some of whom, especially among the bachelors, were his superiors as well in age as in skill and training. As said before, the bachelors had enforced from the younger boys a fagging sort of attendance on their various personal needs, and it was upon this point that Miles first came to grief. As it chanced, several days passed before any demand was made upon him for service to the heads of the squirehood, but when that demand was made, the bachelors were very quick to see that the boy who was bold enough to speak up to Sir James Lee was not likely to be a willing fag for them. "'I tell thee, Francis,' he said, as Gascoigne and he talked over the matter one day, "'I tell thee I will never serve them, prithee.' What shame can be fouler than to do such menial service save for one's rightful lord? Mary, quoth Gascoigne, I reason not of shame at this or that. All I know is that others serve them who are haply as good and may be better than I be, and that if I do not serve them I get knocked in the head, therefore, which same goeth soothly against my stomach. I judge not for thee, said Miles. Thou art used to these castle ways. But only I know that I will not serve them, though they be thirty against me instead of thirteen. Then thou art a fool, said Gascoigne dryly. Now in this matter of service there was one thing above all others that stirred Miles Falworth's ill-liking. The winter before he had come to Devlin, Walter Blunt, who was something of a Sybarite in his way, and who had a repugnance to bathing in the general tank and the open armory court in frosty weather, had had Dick Carpenter build a trough in the corner of the dormitory for the use of the bachelors, and every morning it was the duty of two of the younger squires to bring three pails of water to fill this private tank for the use of the head esquires. It was seeing two of his fellow esquires fetching and carrying this water that Miles disliked so heartily, and every morning his bile was stirred anew at the sight. "'Sooner would I die than yield to such vile service,' said he. He did not know how soon his protestations would be put to the test. One night—it was a week or two after Miles had come to Devlin—Blunt was called to attend the Earl at livery. The livery was the last meal of the day, and was served with great pomp and ceremony about nine o'clock at night, to the head of the house as he lay in bed. Curfew had not yet rung, 
and the lads in the squire's quarters were still wrestling and sparring and romping boisterously in and out around the long row of rude cots in the great dormitory as they made ready for the night six or eight flaring links in wrought-iron brackets that stood out from the wall threw a great ruddy glare through the barrack-like room a light of all others to romp by Miles and Gascoigne were engaged in defending the passageway between their two cots against the attack of three other lads, and Miles held his sheepskin coverlet rolled up into a ball and balanced in his hand, ready for launching at the head of one of the others so soon as it should rise from behind the shelter of a cot. Just then Walter Blunt, dressed with more than usual care, passed by on his way to the Earl's house. He stopped for a moment, and said, "'Mayhaps I will not be in until late to-night.' Thou and Falworth, Gascoigne, may fetch water to-morrow. Then he was gone. Miles stood staring after his retreating figure, with eyes open and mouth agape, still holding the ball of sheepskin balanced in his hand. Gascoigne burst into a helpless laugh at his blank, stupefied face, but the next moment he laid his hand on his friend's shoulder. Miles, he said, thou wilt not make trouble, wilt thou? Miles made no answer. He flung down his sheepskin and sat him gloomily down upon the side of the cot. "'I said that I would sooner die than fetch water for them,' said he. "'Ay, ay,' said Gascoigne, "'but that was spoken in haste.' Miles said nothing, but shook his head. But, after all, circumstances shaped themselves. The next morning, when he rose up through the dark waters of sleep, it was to feel someone shaking him violently by the shoulder. "'Come!' cried Gascoigne, as Miles opened his eyes. "'Come! Time passeth, and we are late!' Miles, bewildered with his sudden awakening, and still fuddled with the fumes of sleep, huddled into his doublet and hose, hardly knowing what he was doing, tying a point here and a point there, and slipping his feet into his shoes. Then he hurried after Gascoigne, frowsy, half-dressed, and even yet only half-awake. It was not until he was fairly out into the fresh air, and saw Gascoigne filling the three leathern buckets at the tank, that he fully awakened to the fact that he was actually doing that hateful service for the bachelors which he had protested he would sooner die than render. The sun was just rising, gilding the crown of the donjon keep with a flame of ruddy light. Below, among the lesser buildings, the day was still grey and misty. Only an occasional noise broke the silence of the early morning. A cough from one of the rooms, the rattle of a pot or a pan, stirred by some sleepy scullion, the clapping of a door or a shutter, and now and then the crowing of a cock back of the long row of stables, all sounding loud and startling in the fresh, dewy stillness. "'Thou hast betrayed me.' said Miles harshly, breaking the silence at last. I knew not what I was doing, or else I would never have come hither. Nevertheless, even though I be come, I will not carry the water for them. So be it, said Gascoigne tartly, and thou canst not stomach it, let be, and I will e'en carry all three myself. It will make me two journeys, but, thank heaven, I am not so proud as to wish to get me hard knocks for naught. So saying, he picked up two of the buckets and started away across the court for the dormitory. Then Miles, with a lowering face, snatched up the third, and, hurrying after, gave him his hand with the extra pail. So it was that he came to do service after all. 
"'Why tarried ye so long?' said one of the older bachelors roughly, as the two lads emptied the water into the wooden trough. He sat on the edge of the cot, bloused and untrussed, with his long hair tumbled and disordered. His dictatorial tone stung Miles to fury. "'We tarried no longer than need be,' answered he, savagely. "'Have we wings to fly withal at your bidding?' He spoke so loudly that all in the room heard him. The younger squires who were dressing stared in blank amazement, and Blunt sat up suddenly in his cot. "'Why, how now?' he cried. "'Answerest thou back thy betters so pertly, sirrah? By my soul, I have a mind to crack thy head with this clog for thy unruly talk.' He glared at Miles as he spoke, and Miles glared back again with right good will. Matters might have come to a crisis, only that Gascoigne and Wilkes dragged their friend away before he had an opportunity to answer. "'An ill-conditioned knave as ever I did see,' growled Blunt, glaring after him. "'Miles, Miles,' said Gascoigne almost despairingly, "'why wilt thou breed such mischief for thyself? Seest thou not thou hast got thee the ill-will of every one of the bachelors, from Watt Blunt to Robin de Ramsey?' "'I care not,' said Miles fiercely, recurring to his grievance. "'Heard ye not how the dogs upbraided me before the whole room? "'That blunt called me an ill-conditioned knave.' "'Mary,' said Gascoigne, laughing, "'and so thou art.' Thus it is that boldness may breed one enemies as well as gain one friends. My own notion is that one's enemies are more quick to act than one's friends. End of chapter 7